My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty Father, as we come now to consider your word, we ask that you will speak to us, that you will grant us to recognize your voice, that you will give us uh, discerning hearts, uh, that you will grant us to um, help us not be gullible, not to believe things that aren't true, but only to be, uh, believe things that are true, but that you would change us from the inside out by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, and it'd be helpful if you would uh, turn back uh, to the reading from Proverbs, which is uh, page 9, uh, and just glance down in that Proverbs reading, uh, right there kind of in the middle, verse 5. It's kind of the, the, the key verse uh, for this passage, and it reads like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Uh, I expect that some of us will hear that, and it'll sound conventional. Um, if you've spent a lot of time in church growing up, uh, you may have heard this verse a lot. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe it's just kind of one of those verses that kind of, kind of ricochets off your mind just a little bit. But for others of us, uh, you may read that verse, and you may have a very different reaction. Uh, I can imagine some people reading this verse, in fact, I, I'm, I, I find myself somewhat in this camp, who read that verse, and it's, it, it strikes me as just a little suspicious, maybe dangerous, because, why, is it, why does it sound dangerous? It sounds dangerous because it sounds like the Bible is saying, uh, don't trust yourself. Maybe be false to yourself. Don't trust yourself. Trust somebody else. And... Uh, and, and if you're a little bit on the suspicious side, if you find yourself just a little bit going, wait, what is this asking me to do? Then um, that, that actually, you, you may have a better chance of actually understanding what this passage is all about. And here's why I say that. That verse, verse 5 and 6, along with this entire passage, demands, it may not sound like it at the beginning, but it demands a, a revolution. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. Each week we're looking at a different portion of this first section of Proverbs. And, um, and what we're saying every single week is that we want to grow up before we grow old. And that Proverbs is helping us do that by teaching us about this thing called wisdom. 
and I don't know whether you've noticed, over the, if you've been with us the last several weeks, but every single week so far, Proverbs has been subtly laying a foundation, quiet foundation for a revolution. Uh, you know what a revolution is. A revolution is a you know, decisive regime change. It usually happens quickly. Um, America used to be part of an you know, imperial monarchy, but we're not anymore. How did that happen? The revolution. We took a bunch of tea, we threw it overboard, we started drinking coffee and threw out a tyrant in the process. And um, now, Proverbs has been subtly laying a foundation for a different kind of decisive overthrow, a decisive revolution. And what's happened is, each week, Proverbs has been just kind of chipping away at a foundation. And the foundation it's been chipping away at is this idea. Here it is. I am the most reliable guide for my life. It's been chipping away at that idea. And today, verse 5 is just an all-out to the barricades call for revolution. Because it says, straightforwardly, don't trust yourself anymore. Abandon trust in self, says Proverbs. Trust in the Lord instead. Which sounds, if we really listen to it, it sounds kind of crazy. It kind of sounds like the thing you're going to hear in church, but it should sound kind of crazy because not all revolutions are good. In fact, some revolutions usher in a tyrant that's worse than the one that was ousted. And so we should ask the question, what about this one? Is this a revolution we can trust? What does it mean to trust not in ourselves, but to trust in the Lord? Is it a good thing? All right. Those are the questions that are kind of going to float around. Uh, but to answer the question, we're going to look at this passage uh, within the context of Israel's history. We're going to spend a lot of time this morning looking at a backstory, a big, long backstory, and then we'll come back into this passage in Proverbs. Okay? Let's see how it goes. Okay. Um, Proverbs, uh, uh, the speaker in this portion of the book of Proverbs is King Solomon, uh, king of Israel long, 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 long time ago. And uh, Solomon was positioned right after one of the darkest eras in Israel's history. So before Solomon, there was uh, his father David, and then there was before him King Saul. But before King Saul, there was this uh, hundreds of years where there was no king in Israel, and it's the period of time that we call the Judges. We call it that partially because the book of Judges tells the story of this era, but also because um, Israel was ruled by these, what, they, what we call in English judges, but they were almost some of them like warlords, not very organized. And it was a really terrible time. In fact, if you read through the book of Judges, you'll find that it is some of the darkest portions of Israel's history. Uh, one of the standout judges, uh, you'll have heard of him, is a guy called Samson. And um, you, Samson, if you know his story at all, he's a big, strong guy, kind of incredible Hulk Bible edition. Um, maybe not as smart as the Hulk um, all the time. But, um, but here's the thing about Samson. If you really want to understand Samson, you should go back and read it, uh, Judges chapter 13. If you really want to understand Samson, what you can do is take our reading in Proverbs and kind of flip it inside out. And, you know, the opposite of this passage that's about Samson right up until the end of his life. 
And if you read the story of Samson, you'll notice a couple things. On the one hand, he was greatly blessed by God. He was, he was big and strong. He, he was good at fighting, and he fought, and he, and he won. And he achieved a portion of a degree of liberty for his people from some of their oppressors. So you, that, you, that's one thing you'll notice when you, you know, he, he was successful in one way. But there's a second thing you'll notice, and the second thing you'll notice is that Samson almost entirely, there's a very end of his life, things change, but for the most part, he trusted in himself and he did not trust in the Lord. Despite the fact that he was given all these remarkable blessings and gifts by the Lord, he nevertheless does not trust the Lord. He trusts himself again and again and again. Now, Samson is one example of a dynamic that goes right through the book of Judges. Um, there's like a slogan that runs through the book of Judges, and it reads like this. It sums up the whole book, the theme. And here it is. It says, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, in this section of Israel's history, um, everyone believed, uh, I am my own best guide through life. Uh, you do you, I'll do me. That's the best path forward for all of us. Which initially, it, I mean, it, you know, it sounds kind of good. But like, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, and for Samson in particular, it made a lot of sense because he, he was big. You know? And when you're big um, and strong and when you win all your fights, uh, he had I, every reason to rely upon himself. However... There was a darker side to it. And the darker side was that for Samson, and we could, one example of many, um, when he did what was right in his own eyes, what that meant on the ground is that he was a slave to his strongest desires, which included, on the one hand, fighting, but included, on the other hand, exploiting people, particularly women, again and again and again. You've heard of Delilah, but she was just the last in a string of many. And that dynamic is not unique to Samson. It runs right through judges. The whole nation is, as a society, doing what everybody found right in their own eyes. But the problem was it created in that context a culture of violence, a culture of exploitation, and a culture of betrayal. And some of the illustrations that I could tell you I, I wouldn't want to say in this context. However... Right in the middle of that dark time, right in the middle of the era of the judges, the Lord, the God of Israel, begins laying a foundation for a revolution. And do you know who the revolutionary is? Her name's Ruth. Ruth, right in the middle of the era of the judges. You can read about her in the book called Ruth. Um, and Ruth is not an Israelite. She's from Moab, which is modern-day uh, Jordan. And what happens is she marries a, a refugee family uh, from Israel. She marries into this family. Uh, they are refugees from Israel in Moab. Um, however, tragedy strikes. Uh, her husband uh, dies, and she is left destitute with just her and her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi. Now, what's Ruth going to do? What happens now? She's destitute. Do you know what she does? She does something crazy, revolutionary. 
she looks at Naomi, her destitute mother-in-law, a refugee. And she says, Naomi, I'm going to stick with you. And not only that, says Ruth, I'm going to give my life entirely into the hands of your God. You call him Lord. In our Bibles, it's all uppercase. Yahweh. You call him Yahweh. I am giving myself entirely into the hands of Yahweh. I am trusting no longer in my own self, but I am trusting in him alone. Your God, Naomi, will be my God from now on. Now, like I say, that's a revolution. And it's a revolution because in that moment, she changed regimes, so to speak. Meaning, Ruth was no longer trusting in Ruth, and Ruth was no longer in charge of Ruth, and Ruth voluntarily surrenders herself to the Lord. She does verse 5. She trusted in the Lord with all her heart, and she leaned not upon her own understanding. And friends, that was a revolution. Nobody was into that, that at that time. Do you know what happened? It was awful at first. Um, they were destitute. And Moab, le uh, sorry, Ruth leaves Moab, becomes a refugee herself, goes back to Israel, well, not for her, it's not back, goes to Israel to a little town called Bethlehem, you may have heard of it, um, and she's completely vulnerable. One of the obstacles to people uh, deeply trusting in the Lord is the sneaking suspicion that to do so, to trust no longer in yourself, but to give yourself wholly to the Lord, that there's a sneaking suspicion uh, that the Lord won't take care of us after all, because it feels vulnerable. And Ruth felt the full weight of that risk. However, that wasn't the end of the story, because she got to Israel. And everybody noticed her, not just because she was a refugee, but everybody noticed that she lived out verse 3. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay, that's what everybody noticed about Ruth when she got to Bethlehem. Everybody noticed her, note the word, steadfast love. Now, steadfast love in the Old Testament is the kind of love that is usually uniquely associated with the Lord, the God of Israel. It's the special kind of love unique to him that moves the Lord to do things like rescue Israel out of Egypt when they're not looking to be rescued. Um, that uh, moves the Lord to be faithful to Israel when Israel is not faithful to him. It is an overflowing kindness. Uh, and everyone noticed Ruth, just her character exudes the same kind of steadfast love that they associated with the stories of the Lord. That is to say, they looked at her, and she was striking because she resembled their God. Now, pause there. When you entrust yourself to the Lord, when verse 5 takes hold, when you lean not upon your own understanding, and, but rather acknowledge the Lord, one of the things that will happen is your character is going to change. It'll change. Samson's uh, selfishness led to exploitation. But when you entrust yourself to the Lord, it leads to the opposite of that. That is to say, it leads to steadfast love. You'll treat people differently. You'll desire different things. And the Lord will begin to reshape you to resemble him. Think of it this way. 
In the final analysis, you will resemble whatever it is you trust the most. Now, go back to Ruth, because what happens is, again, it's not the end of the story, she also experienced not only verse 3, but verse 4. Look at verse 4. So you will find favor and success in the sight of God and man. Now, um, remember, everybody noticed Ruth's uh, steadfast love, and everybody noticed her character, and what happened is, her character provokes, it really gets the attention, of a guy called Boaz. And Boaz follows her example. He was a powerful guy, could have exploited, didn't exploit, but rather sees her and is compelled to begin acting with steadfast love himself. And what happens is, and I'm abbreviating a lot, they get married, which is a wonderful love story. Yay! But it's more than that. It's a regime change. And it actually ends up being a literal regime change, because you know what happens? They have a family. And not only do they have a family, they have a dynasty. And the nature of this dynasty, the thing that, that begins to um, overwhelm and characterize this new family is this stead commitment to steadfast love of the Lord. And their great-grandchild son, great-grandson, is David. Heard of David? Goliath becomes king. And great-great-grandson is Solomon, the speaker in our reading today. This is why it's all a backstory. And therefore, now, with all that in your mind, come back to this reading, because this reading is Solomon speaking to his son, the next generation, and saying in so many words, verse 1, I'm going to paraphrase it, son, keep up the family characteristic. Don't be like Israel was in the judges' era. Be like Grandma Ruth. Keep the tradition of Ruth. Don't do what is right in your own eyes. Rather, instead of trusting yourself, trust the Lord instead. Now, can you begin to see why I'm saying that this is a revolutionary text? Metaphorically and literally. I don't know about you, but my default setting is to trust me. Uh, my intuition, despite notable, notable evidence to the contrary, is that I am my best guide through life. And all my life, I've been told, have you been told this? Trust yourself, follow your heart. Be yourself. And is there truth in that? Of course there's truth in that. We shouldn't be false to who we are. But on the other hand, there's a danger. Because the danger is that I'm a lot like Samson, which is to say, I'm a little dumb, and I'm very selfish, and I have just enough uh, education and manners to kind of paper over it and dupe people around me. But in the end, if I trust my own heart and follow my own heart, then I will be a slave to my strongest desires, and that does not lead to good places. Which is to say, I need a Ruth-style revolution. Now, let me show you something else with this passage, though. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, notice that word, acknowledge. Um, it actually means, it, would be, it, it means know the Lord. It means in everything you do, seek to know the Lord, not just know about the Lord, but to know him like a friend, or better, like a father. 
Um, I want you to see how relational Proverbs is. The heart of wisdom is knowing the Lord. I said this last week. The heart of wisdom is not just gaining life skills. The heart of wisdom is not just making good choices consistently. The, the heart of wisdom and the big payoff of wisdom is knowing the Lord like a father. Like a father, you say? Yes, look at the text. Verse 1. A father, human father, speaks to his son and says, listen to your father because I'm wiser than you think I am. Verse 12, though, look at verse 12, it changes. Verse 12, Solomon says, actually listen to your heavenly father. The Lord must be your heavenly father. And when he corrects you, he's correcting you only because he loves you. Okay. Do you see the revolution? From self-trust to trust of the Lord. And do you see that it's a revolution to intimacy? Because entrusting yourself to the Lord means that he will be a father to you, directing you, guiding you, loving you, seeking you. And fathers, I know that's a complex idea because some fathers exploit, right? And some fathers neglect. Did yours? But the Lord doesn't. The Lord is full of steadfast love. He loves and he teaches and he does not abandon and he is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. So, what regime are you in? You knew that question was coming, didn't you? What regime are you in? Samson's? Yourself? Or Ruth's? Trusting in the Lord. Uh, but that's an extraordinarily difficult question to answer. So let me, uh, let me ask you more specific questions, and you can kind of gauge. Okay? Here's, here's some pesky questions made, uh, designed to make everybody feel uncomfortable. Ready? It'll be fun. Do you honor the Lord with your money? Oh, dear, Jim, why'd you bring that up? Because of verse 9. And it's a good question because the way you spend your money will demonstrate who, what you value and who you trust. Because if I trust myself above all, I will fundamentally spend my money on me to protect myself, to indulge myself, whatever it might be. But if you trust in the Lord, you will find yourself asking the Lord, Lord, I recognize that all the resources that you have given me is a good gift from you. How can I honor you with my money? How can I honor you with my giving? How can I honor you with my saving? How can I honor you with what I purchase? And, and how can I honor you in, in the way I utilize your resource? My guess, I said this before, is that a lot of us struggle to believe that the Lord is really, really good and that we can really, really trust him and that he's really, really going to take care of us, particularly financially. That fear lurking around in your heart? Well, it may be that this is, the, this is where the revolution starts for you. Can you trust the Lord with your finances? Next question. Do I, this is fun, welcome correction? And you say, of course not. But it's a way to gauge where you're at. Because if my heart trusts in me, then I am going to be very, very defensive of me. Um, it's natural to defend the leader of whatever regime you're in, right? And if I'm the emperor of me, then you better not mess with me. 
But on the other hand, and, and therefore, we, you, you'll know that is when people correct you, you'll initially come back, instantly come back with a flurry of justifications for why you're right and they're wrong. And in your imagination, even if you don't say it out loud, in your imagination when you walk away, you'll replay the, the conversation and you'll just win. You'll just win. <clears throat> and you'll feel good. Um, I have some uh, experience. But on the other hand, when you're tr deeply trusting in the Lord, then uh, you'll realize that, that uh, the Lord corrects you like a father, and, and, and every, all of his corrections are just drawing you closer into deeper intimacy with you, with him, which is what you want. How do you respond to correction? And we could ask the question, how is the Lord changing your character? Are you beginning to resemble the Lord or not? And the most important question is, is your whole life, verse 6, about seeking to know the Lord? Is that the big aim? Now, there's a sadness in this reading. I find a sadness all through Proverbs. And the sadness is that um, if you read through the life of Solomon and of his son, uh, it ends up that both Solomon and his son, by the end of their life, they ended up not really living this out. Um, uh, both of them end up resembling Samson to a greater extent than they re resemble Ruth. They ended up trusting in themselves rather than the Lord. And Solomon, along with his son, uh, sent the whole nation into just a spiral, back into a lot of the, the, the dynamics that were characteristic of the era of the judges. And, and, and therefore, when you come to this, you, you know, it brings out the question, man, can anybody entrust themselves to the Lord? I mean, there's a good, bright spot with Ruth, but what about the rest of us? Can anybody fully entrust themselves to the Lord? And of course, the answer to that in a deep and profound way is no. So this whole sermon is inviting you to a revolution you can't do. Isn't that encouraging? However, the Lord remained faithful. Back to the story. The Lord remained faithful, even when Israel is not, especially when Israel is not. And many years later, there was another young revolutionary girl, a spiritual daughter of Ruth. And the Lord came to her and said, you're going to have a child, though you're a virgin. And Mary said yes. That is to say, she entrusted herself entirely to the Lord, and she leaned not upon her own understanding. But in all her ways, she acknowledged and sought to know the Lord, and he made straight her paths. And through her, he brought forth Jesus, the true and greater son of Ruth literally descended from Ruth. And unlike Solomon or David or anyone that had gone before, Jesus perfectly obeyed this passage. Every single thing that he did was aimed at knowing his father in love. And the father made straight his path, except, except this path was a path that went straight to the cross. And as Jesus went to the cross, he entered into and exceeded uh, Ruth's entrance into complete vulnerability. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, it looked as if maybe the, father's, uh, was, the father wasn't that uh, faithful to Jesus because Jesus had done everything right, and now the father was leading him to the cross. And Jesus said, Father, this isn't what I want to do. Father, is there another way to do this? Do you remember the story? And the father said, no, this is the only way. And Jesus obeyed, verse 5 and 6. He trusted not upon himself, but leaned upon the Lord. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but your will be done. 
and he embraced the cross. And he became the ultimate spiritual refugee because he was shut out of the presence of his father when he died upon the cross. Why would that happen? What's the point? Is that just a tragedy? Does that prove that God's promises aren't real, that he doesn't pull, come through for us? No, it's the opposite. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead with the power and the authorization to pardon Samson's self-centered, self-preferring people like me. And not only does he give amnesty to self-preferring people like me, he also gives his own reward, the reward for his faithfulness he gives to me and to you and to us. And therefore, when you look at Jesus' death, you see the perfect example of trusting in God. And when you look at Jesus' death, you see the perfect act of love towards you. And therefore, when you look at Jesus upon the cross, this is the key thing. You can see a God that you, it's really worth trusting. If God's willing to suffer for you, then he can bear your trust. You can trust him. You can trust him with your vulnerability because he's been there. You can trust him with your success because he's got greater success to give you. You can trust him with everything. And therefore, Emmanuel, if you want to be wise, if you want to be a revolutionary, you can't pull it off. Don't imagine that you can. And if you try, you'll end up just trusting in yourself. Therefore, look at Jesus upon the cross. Look at him. Look at him until you see a God that you can fully give yourself to. And then with your eyes fixed upon him, trust not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Christ, and he will make your paths straight. He will. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.